Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I'm currently working through a little bit of a cough, so I hope that won't be too disruptive. But uh, in the meantime, I'm really hopeful that you'll um, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And it's also really helpful for us if you leave a review to let us know how we're doing. And then, as always, if you have any comments or questions, things you want us to cover, my email address is listed in the uh, description of the episode, so you can use that to contact me and say, hey, I want to talk about this, or I want a question about that. Like, what's going on? So, today is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to be the one kind of in charge of the conversation. I'm going to leave that to our lead <laughs> pastor, Pastor Brad Kindle. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here, Kevin. And uh, yeah, um, so th- this is a, a podcast that Kevin and I have been talking about. And I thought, you know, I, I would really love to interview you. Okay. And uh, you typically you're asking me questions or mm-hmm. the other people uh, in, in the room, you're asking them the questions. We're going to get to uh, your story today. Yeah. And um, I think it's an honor to to be able to hear people's stories and the experiences of their lives that have that have <coughs> shaped them. And um, and so let's just start with the simple first question, Kevin. What's your story? What's my story? Yeah. So this will take a minute. Um, <laughs> one would think. Yeah. One we've kind of alluded to this in a previous episode where we mentioned that we're going to go into more of my story. And um, spoiler alert. Um, it's the story of wrestling of, with my sexuality and kind of coming to terms with the fact that I'm gay, but I still adhere to a Christian traditional sexual ethic of a belief that marriage is intended for a male-female relational covenant and sex is reserved for that covenant. So I've always believed that and I still adhere to that and live by that. Um, but certainly it was an interesting journey to get to that point. Because um, basically I, I grew up in a pretty traditional Christian environment. Um, I had a pastor for one, one of my grandfathers was a pastor. Um, my other grandfather traveled in like a musical, they called themselves the musical messengers and they did like little ah. tent revival things and he played accordion and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, just grew up in a very traditional Christian home and um, environment and both sides of my family had a lot of, you know, um, Christian leaders in their churches and stuff. My uncle was a missionary in Cameroon for years. Um, grew up going to church. My parents were founding members in their church, um, so we were just always there. My mom worked as a secretary at our at our church growing up, and so we would just go to work with her, and we'd just play at the church, you know. Sure. Um, and uh, that was great because it was just a big open space for us to play in. So, um, so yeah, so it was really a strong core part of my DNA was a life of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then... A, may, may, may I... So with all that, a life of faith, life in faith, a life mm-hmm. in the church, would do you look back on that as, was that positive? Oh, A lot absolutely. of people would say that wasn't positive. But you, absolutely. And in, in most ways, it wasn't like an oppressive faith. Like you, you, you have heard, we've all heard stories of people who like, lived in a, like an overly strict, overbearing Christian environment, mm-hmm. and that has turned off many people. That wasn't the case for me. That's not to say that there may not have been that like in the church that I was in. It sure, may have yeah. been that way for some other families, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I never felt that way. Mm-hmm. I would say that like conversations about like LGBTQ groups <coughs> were never uh, 
very prominent conversations and they were very limited in Mm -hmm. context. Like, um, and a lot of this was like, you know, nineties and early two thousands that I was kind of growing up in. So, I mean, it was a very different conversation, not just in the church, but also just culturally at the time. Um, but the conversations about LGBTQ issues were very limited and mostly negative. It was Mm -hmm. mostly like, Oh, the gay agenda is destroying America. And Mm -hmm. like, that Mm -hmm. was kind of, all the conversation was it's mm-hmm. you know we don't do this this is not what christians do christians they get into straight relationships get married and have babies <laughs> mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so i i and i firmly believe that and i still do and that was foundational for my understanding of marriage and sexuality um but there was never any sort of nuance or discussion of like okay if somebody is experiencing mm-hmm. or feeling something other than that traditional um, sexual orientation. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. There was I never heard any discussion of that. Yeah, it, and it's, it's kind of easy to um, kind of create monoliths of groups yes. mm-hmm. and forget that each person is an actual person, yep. a, a, a God image bearing person uh, who God whom God loves and um, whom God wants us to love and bestow grace upon, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So you have, you have groups, you know, politic, political groups, and you have even groups in terms of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. yeah. And so growing up, I never uh, even, it never even crossed my mind that I might not be straight. Like, hmm. I think I noticed that, like, some of, of the other kids in my classes, like in later elementary school and junior high, like now I can look back on the scene and it was like, oh, I thought they were good looking. At the time, I just thought, oh, they had cool clothes or a cool haircut. Sure. And it was just kind of, I think I interpreted interpreted it at the time as a form of jealousy, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I wish I could have a newer shirt or whatever. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I wish I had the cool clothes, like the popular kids or whatever. Um, but it it... It just, it was so ingrained in me that, you know, Christians, they, you know, I, as a guy, I will get married to a woman and mm-hmm. that'll be my life. And mm-hmm. so I like never questioned anything really. Mm-hmm. And that was true even as I got into like middle school and high school, like I just never really questioned that, even though questions about sexuality were becoming more prominent culturally. And certainly in my school, there were starting mm-hmm. to be uh, classmates that were coming out as gay or bisexual sure. and whatnot. Um, the trans conversation wasn't really happening as much at that time, um, which <laughs> I, I kind of hate saying these things. At that time, it feels like I'm super old. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not that old, but like, yeah. Yeah, but the, the, <coughs> the, the way culture deals with certain, th- certain things changes over the centuries. Yep. Um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure you're, you hear, we don't believe truth changes over the centuries. Right. But the way we deal with certain truths um, changes over the centuries culturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so like as I got into high school, it, I, I was kind of more aware that I was noticing guys, but I still, there was just so much denial about like, no, that's not an option. I'm a Christian, so I believe this. So I'm not even going to process this. Mm-hmm. It just, it never really entered my conscious thought space. Um, even though like in my head, Sometimes in high school, like, I had, like, 
there are maybe a couple of good-looking guys that I was like, oh, I know I'll probably see them at this time at this part of the building, you know, because that's mm-hmm. where their locker is. Like, that should have been a clue. Yeah. Um, but I, I was, it was just so unconscious, and there was just so much denial that I couldn't even get to that point of okay. observing that um, mm-hmm. consciously. Um, in college, I was definitely starting to be more aware of, like, okay, no, you're looking at guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and in, so... In, in, you're looking at guys... Mm-hmm. At, as when when you say um, how would I put it? Just just I want to clarify what I'm hearing. You're you're looking at guys and you're thinking there's an attraction there mm-hmm. that um, a lot of people would equate um, to a sexual attraction. Yes. And you're like, okay, there's an attraction here, and this is this is new to you. Yep. Not new. That this is um, not something I'd considered for there myself. You go. There yeah. you go. Okay. And like even. Even someone in high school, I kind of would get a little bit confused at some point because I remember like being in different conversations with like older cousins or uh, classmates, and they'd be like, "Oh, she's so hot!" Or did you see that? You know, Britney Spears mm-hmm. on the VMAs that was so hot, and I was like, "Was it?" <laughs> <laughs> and like at the time, I rationalized it as that was trashy. Mm. It was a trashy performance, mm-hmm. or a trashy way of presenting themselves which is kind of judgmental on my part but well, that's how in i internalized it and how i processed it when i was that age i was just like oh that's not the way you should be presenting yourself so that's mm-hmm. just kind of trashy and gross it's not hot mm, but really uh-huh. i just wasn't attracted <laughs> sure which i can see now but mm-hmm. at the time there was just so many levels of unconscious denial that i couldn't even go there um so yeah so in college I was definitely starting to realize, like, no, there's some level of, like, same-sex attraction here. And that was when it moved more into conscious denial of, Mm. like, no, this is not who I am. This is not what I do. I want to marry a woman. That's what I think God's plan for me is. Um, And so, like, even in high school and in college, I did have a couple of dating relationships with women. Mm -hmm. Um, I – it was kind of funny because, like, I didn't – there wasn't a lot of pushing of physical boundaries in those relationships. And I thought I was just a really good gentlemanly guy with like Uh good Christian boundaries and stuff. But it's like, actually looking back on it, I'm like, actually I just wasn't that attracted and I wasn't that interested in going much further. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like, I felt a lot of like insecurity and depression when I find my, found myself at the end of these relationships because I was usually the one breaking up mm, with mm-hmm. this other with this girl mm-hmm. and I felt horrible about it because I had no good reason. <laughs> sure. I was just like, "Oh, I guess we've lost the spark." Mm-hmm. Whatever that was. Um and like I still like had a strong relational bond with some of these girls. Like we mm-hmm. got along very well and could have really great conversations for a long time and talk about things and mm-hmm. but like I remember the first girlfriend that I I dumped, I just, I felt sick about it for a year. (laughs) Like, I just hated myself. I was like, why couldn't I make this work? Mm -hmm. Um, And so before I was even consciously processing it, I was really wrestling with my sexuality and didn't even realize it. Can I just uh, press pause for a second? Because what I want everyone uh, watching and listening to pay attention to is that you know this information of this part of your journey is is very helpful because um one people in their early twenties late teens are are wrestling with these questions mm-hmm. but uh in in our church of course in every church 
Um, people in high school are wrestling with these things. People in junior well, because high the conversations are getting so prominent culturally. They're wrestling with these conversations, wrestling with these questions earlier and earlier. Right, and and that's my point mm-hmm. is it to have to have this to have this conversation with you is so helpful for our young people as because they're wrestling with all of these questions and culture is is um imposing a certain amount of assumptions upon them anyway mm-hmm. i don't i interrupted go ahead no that's okay um so yeah so as a <coughs> like i was saying the as i got into man we have to get you I more know. cough drops no I, i've got I'm one sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry go ahead um the the bigger issues is that i've like slipped a rib and that it just makes it painful to cough yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so like as I was in college, it became more of a conscious denial, but I was still very much telling everybody like, oh no, I was like, everybody else knew. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. People were like, aren't you gay? And I'm like, no. <laughs> what made you think that? Ooh. Turns out everything. <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> um, but so yeah, so then, and, and even in college I was getting, I was developing a really deep spiritual insecurity of like why am i wrestling with this like Mm -hmm. i must not if i'm still if i'm still facing this temptation that means i must not be praying enough i must Mm -hmm. not be in my bible enough Mm -hmm. i'm not close enough to god for god to have said okay i will Mm -hmm. get rid of this struggle for you Mm -hmm. which is bad theology (laughs) um but that's kind of where my brain was and where my faith was at that time and can can you so put it in the context of um, someone who's not same-sex attracted, who would have the same questions, you know, why can't I stop X, Y, Z yeah. in, in, you know, uh, and the feelings I have, whether they're, you know, whether that is expressed in porn or whatever. What, what You said that's bad theology. Can you unpack that real quick before we go further? Yeah, so I had an idea that if, if I was close enough to God, God would rid me of a temptation. So if I... Mm. Um, followed Jesus closely enough, I wouldn't be tempted by X, Y, Z, whatever it was. And, I mean, like you said, that can be porn, that can be substance abuse, that can be gluttony, that can be cheating right. on your taxes, uh, cheating on your wife, whatever it is. That I mean, that can take a lot of forms. Why, God, why? Why won't you take this away from me? What right. am I... Yeah. yeah. And now where I'm at, <laughs> what mm-hmm. I learned over time, I'll kind of get through, is okay. the bad theology of that is that there's nothing in the Bible that ever says you will be rid of temptation if you fulfill these requirements. Sure. There's nothing about that. Well, the Bible it, only says you will be tempted in this life. Right. And and we're in a spiritual battle and the enemy yep. wants to destroy doesn't matter whether whether you're same sex attracted or or not. The enemy wants to destroy yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I wasn't far along enough in my journey to know that. Um sure. like my faith in college and high school was strong. But it was fairly complacent. Like, I didn't have good habits of, or maybe really any habits of spending time in scripture on my own, mm-hmm. um, of, like, daily prayer or anything like that. I wasn't really engaged significantly in Christian community when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was more focused on being on the speech team, and that became my identity for four years, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other story. Um, so then, so yeah, I was kind of in that more conscious denial phase at that point, but still confident that like I was at that point, like the thing that gave me hope was like, I had such a strong belief that like God was calling me to marriage, not mm-hmm. because I'd had like a special like message from God, yeah. but just cause I was like, I really want that. Therefore that must be God's plan for me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so then um, after college, I moved down to Kansas for grad school at Kansas State University. And that was kind of a time where I kind of finally buckled down and said, okay, if I'm going to be serious about my faith, I need to make this my own and do that. And so I got connected with like a, a church down there right away. Like the, literally the first day I was there, I was like, I need to find a church now or else I just won't. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if I don't do it right away, I'm just not going to do it. So I did that right away, got immediately connected with the campus ministry and just suddenly found people and was suddenly in like really intentional Christian community in a way that I hadn't attempted before. Mm-hmm. And that was just such a time of spiritual development and growth over the next couple of years when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was... I was very, I was, at that point, I was finally starting to confront some of the things within myself and finally name it. Like, okay, I'm attracted to guys. Like, Mm -hmm. let's call it what it is. It's same-sex attraction. But I still could not talk about it with anyone. It Mm. was still very much an internal battle. I was, I mean, part of it was internalized homophobia. Part of it was not having good language about it. Part of it was not knowing who to trust. Um, sure. And so I was still kind of in a phase that, like, I thought that God would get rid of it mm. because I wanted to get married and have kids. I was like, "That's this is what I want, and that's a godly pursuit, right? So mm. God will at least give me enough attraction to uh, a woman so I can, you know, be married to her and have a mm. strong, healthy marriage in every respect um, and have a family. So I was... I was very confident that God could do that, which isn't wrong. The part of that that was misplaced was God had never specifically promised me that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. so like, was it wrong to have faith that God could do that for me? No. God has done that for other people in my Mm -hmm. boat. Um, But yeah, so that, that's kind of where I was then. Um, Eventually, I kind of started to kind of think, okay, I do need to share this with someone. And like, I wasn't quite sure who. And the other thing was that up to that point in my life, I had no role model for the struggle that I was going through. Sure. Yeah. Um, Everybody that I had seen specifically in the church that had maybe come out as a Christian, whether in a public context or just in within people I knew, um, every person that I had seen had either left the church altogether, mm-hmm. which I knew I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is who I am. I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, I believe this. I'm not going to leave the church. Um, mm-hmm. Or they had um, embraced a theology that claimed that scripture supported same-sex sexual or marital relationships. And I just didn't buy the theology behind that. Mm-hmm. We probably won't go into that too much today. Um, there's a lot of great resources out to that. And I'm happy to point you to those. Um that do a good job of explaining some of that, but I just didn't buy that theology. So I kind of saw these two directions of people in the church coming out as gay or bisexual or lesbian of either leaving the church or embracing a more affirming of same-sex relationships theology. And I didn't see myself on either path. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what do I do? What does this even look like? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I don't know how to forge this path. And... Something I've heard over the years is that um, you can't be what you can't see. 
And so if you don't have a role model for something, it's not that it's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's a lot harder <laughs> Sure, sure. to, uh, you know, achieve a certain goal or to walk a certain path. If you've never seen somebody do that before, mm-hmm. you don't have a template for that. It, and so that just makes it really, really difficult to do. So, um, so yeah, so during that time in Kansas, um, you know, I had great people around me, good, good, godly people, um, strong accountability relationships where people were sharing very intimate things, but I still felt like I could not mm. share that. Um, eventually there was one friend who she had confided, confided some deeply personal things to me. And she had also said that she had known other people who were same sex attracted, but wanted to maintain a traditional biblical sexual ethic. And so finally I was like, that's a person I can share with because mm. she had a lot of trust in me. So if I put trust in her, she knows what that's like and she'll, you know, I could trust her. So finally one day I kind of like sent her a message on Facebook because I couldn't do it in person because it was still terrifying. So I put it in writing, um, sent it to her. And we, after that, she and I had a good phone call about that and had a couple of conversations of processing some of that. And that was really helpful. Um, but then just the natural course of, the lives of people in college and grad school, our paths diverged because she mm-hmm. went to one school, I, I was still there, and whatever. So we just didn't get to have a lot of continued follow-up about that. And so I was kind of back in a place of like, well, I'm doing this on my own. Like, hmm, let's figure this out. Um, so then in like 20... <coughs> in 2013, I moved back to Minnesota. Um, I got involved at a different church Mm-hmm. Um, not faith covenant. Um, and I was still kind of wrestling with it and I just felt God continually kind of prompting me like, you need to get this off your chest. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you need to deal with this. This is not healthy or helpful for you. Like you're, yeah, I just mm-hmm. felt God kind of impressing that on me and I kept ignoring it. Um, and then I got involved, um, with Agua Viva, which was, a uh, is a missions organization that was run mostly by people from Faith Covenant at the time. Because um, my one of the leaders of that knew my dad through something, so my dad did a mission trip to Honduras. And so then the next year, in 2013, my dad was doing the same trip again. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll go too. Because well, my dad decided to go, then my brother was like, oh, I'll go. And then my brother's girlfriend at the time, now his wife, was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that too. Because she'd done mission stuff. So I was like, well, I have nothing better to do, so I'll go on it too. Um, so I, you know, started coming to those, um, to the Agua Viva Viva training meetings that were held here at Faith Covenant. And that's, that was my first time coming in this building back Mm -hmm. when the carpet was orange and hideous. (laughs) Some of you will remember that. Um, and so, and in those meetings, there was a guy named Jay Substead, who you never got to meet. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was one of the leaders of... The he was leading that mission trip, and he was one of the leader, uh, leaders of Agua Viva, and he was just someone who was so vulnerable about different aspects of his personal story, um, mm-hmm. different from my own. But like that vulnerability was such a template of like, oh, here's how you share hard things, mm-hmm. and look what happened to him. The world didn't end. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he shared these really painful, difficult things, and nobody thought less of him. Yeah, Jay's Jay's kind of a legend around here mm-hmm. still. Yep. Oh. He's also he's kind of a legend away. at like Bethel University because, yeah, he went there and he was an alumni and, yeah. Um, and so I was getting exposed to that vulnerability. And so shortly before the mission trip, like October of 2013, I 
ended up sending an email to a close friend from high school who wouldn't have shared my theological beliefs on the on the subject, but it, she was just a very close friend, and she she was someone I knew would be supportive and good to talk to. So I emailed her, kind of came out to her, and then we that started actual in person conversations. And I was like, okay, this is better. I was like. I knew God was leading me to start sharing more openly mm-hmm. and I was doing it as minimally as possible. <laughs> like I was like, I'm not ready to open the floodgates. I'm just going to like, you know, take a little dropper and drop a little drop out of truth mm-hmm. to someone who I can trust. Um, so that was happening. Well, so then November of 2013, I go on the mission trip to Honduras and the entire time I feel God's just like pushing me. Like you have got to share this. Like mm-hmm. you are not Okay you are not healthy, you need to share this. And um, at one point during the trip, there was a day midway through the week where I was having stomach issues, and so was my brother's then-girlfriend, now-wife, Maggie. Um, She's my sister-in-law now. Um, She and I were both very ill, and so we're, like, laying in hammocks, in adjacent hammocks, and I finally, like, opened up to her, which was very helpful because she had also had other people that she knew who had had a similar story. So I knew she was safe. Um, and then there were, there were just so many things that week happening of that were just like little God pokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does anybody remember Facebook posts pokes? That was probably like, that was like earliest iteration of Facebook. So okay. if you weren't on Facebook early, there was a thing where you like for people that were your friend, you could just hit a little button that said poke. Mm. And you would get a notification that, like, so-and-so poked you. Mm. And you could just poke each other back and forth. And you could okay. have, like, poke wars. Yeah. So that's how I felt. I was like, God is giving me the little... You're getting a nudge. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what all the nudges were that week. but And I was like, well, it'd be weird to share in the village. And I don't know how the village would... I don't. I don't... I have no idea what their context is for this. Yeah. So I was like, this is... No, I was like, no, 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 this is not a good idea. Um, but then at the end of the week... Um, we got back to one of the local leaders' homes in Tegucigalpa, and we were doing, like, a whoops, a debriefing of the entire group. And I was like, oh, no. Mm. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just knew I had to do it. I was just, like, there was just a weight, a burning inside me of, like, you have to do this or or else. I don't know what the or else was, but <laughs> I was like, here it comes. Mm-hmm. And so we were going around the circle. It finally gets to me, and I just start <coughs> blurting this all out. And I was terrified because, like, my dad was there, my brother was there, mm. and all these other random people. It was actually easier to share in front of other people that I hadn't known for very long. Sure. Because, like, with my dad and my brother, it felt like I was maybe changing everything they'd known about me for, mm. at that time, 20, 25, 26 years. Um, with everybody else, I was like, meh. They barely know me. I might never ever see them again. So. <laughs> I mean, I knew I probably would see some of them again, but um, so yeah. So I, I kind of blurted everything out, and so the verse that really was helping me through that moment and moving me um, to share was Second Corinthians uh, chapter twelve, verses nine and ten, that says, uh, "For but he said to me, Jesus, this is Jesus talking to Paul. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you.'" Uh, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, uh, so that Christ's power may reside in me. There, um, so I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
And that verse was just God, God's way of telling me that, like, you have been regarding this as a weakness and a flaw for so long, but to me, this is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And if you don't share this, you are denying me, God, an opportunity to work through this wow. and to work through you. And that was the thing that was just weighing on me. I was like, okay, I've been denying God the opportunity to do something with this or through this for so long. I can't, I can't keep doing that. Um, it's disobedient at this point. Um, so yeah, I shared and I really did not know what to expect, um, how people would react. And I was like, part of me was like, this is the wrong time to do this. Cause like, we're having this experience in Honduras. That's like focus on like poverty and like, mm-hmm. this is so not what we're here for. Um, but that's where God had me at that moment. And I just remember I like, I couldn't look at, I couldn't make eye contact with anyone. I was just like looking at the ground and like I finished and I was like, uh, Brian Martin, who some of you remember, he was the uh, youth director here for a long time. He was next to me. I was like, okay, Brian, go your turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and everybody else was like, uh, what? And I just remember my dad, like, cause my dad had been like sitting across from me. And he stood up and, like, put his hand out to me. And I thought he was just doing, like, a, you know, manly handshake, like, well said, son, or something like that. So I, like, went went to, I thought, shake his hand. And he just pulled me up and hugged me and just said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And just kept repeating that. Um, Which was very, very much the best reaction I could have hoped for. Which, and that was part of the spiritual warfare that I'd been under for so long, was thinking that the worst would happen. Sure. When yeah, in reality, yeah. the best is what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. like... Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, like the spiritual warfare that was in me had me thinking the people who know me best and love me most are going to have the worst reactions. Yeah. It's, it's so what, what is so compelling about this, and it's, it, it is not um, confined to this particular topic. It's, it's kind of everything in the church. Yeah. So... In fact, I had one of our teens ask me last week, you know, what is a healthy church? And a, my response was, a healthy church is where truth and grace abound. Mm, yeah. And and so you were truthful. You were honest. Mm-hmm. And your fear was there wouldn't be grace. Right. Yep. Um, but, in, and truth isn't just, you know, God loves you, because that's true. But the, there's another truth is that God loves you in your weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a beautiful thing. And we, the body of Christ, are part of the demonstration of God's grace to each other as we love each other in, you know, the easy stuff and, and what we might call the harder stuff. And, um, and I, I just want to say this to anyone who's watching this, and you, whether you're a part of Faith Covenant Church or not, but what a gift you gave in trusting others mm-hmm. and what a gift they gave you in receiving you in continued grace. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you kind of, the, the, the enemy is, is giving us lies that are, that are not true. You know, mm-hmm. it's the definition of a lie. Yeah. And, and we have to, we have to speak truth to these lies mm-hmm. and, and in so doing, um, not only healing comes, but a deeper love comes. Yeah. And we rob the church 
and we rob ourselves when we don't live in that truth and grace together. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to commend you. But I also, you know, I commend your father, absolutely, and, and your family, but also that group of people. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway. Well, and immediately after, like, one of the things that I had been, again, battling with spiritual warfare was this idea that, like, if I'm facing this temptation, then God's word must not be written on my heart. Mm. And that was just eating away at me. I'm like, you know, if, if, if I'm still battling temptation, or if, I, if God's word were really written on my heart, I wouldn't be having this temptation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> right, right. Um, and up until that moment, that's what I was thinking. But then after sharing that night, uh, Brian Martin and I were bunking in the same room and he was just like, man, I'm so glad that God's word is written on your heart. Like mm, for you to wow. go through all this. And like, that was the first time where I realized that's what has kept me on this path mm. was God's word was written on my heart mm. this whole time. I just never could believe it because what, what had happened was <coughs> the years of spiritual warfare and spiritual insecurity had made me feel like I was wrapped in chains and then also surrounded by a bunch of walls mm. and God's truth could not get into those walls. So I was just kind of stewing in my own little pool of insecurity and wasn't giving anybody else the opportunity to speak truth at me mm. to say, no, God's word is written on your heart. Mm-hmm. And so like that night, it just felt like this pile of chains was just gone mm. for the first wow. time in my life. And like uh, the next year, when we did the, that we kind of, it's a, it's an annual trip in Honduras. And, um, when I was there the next year at that same house, I just remember feeling like I could see a pile of rusted out chains just sitting there on the porch. Mm. And it was just, it was such a freeing moment. Um, so yeah, so that, that happened in Honduras. That was a, obviously a a pivotal (laughs) turning point. Mm -hmm. Um, when I got home, (coughs) I was still very nervous about saying anything like, verbally to anybody so like i was like well i should probably tell the rest of my family because you know um so i sent an email to the rest of my siblings and my mom and they were all very supportive had similar responses that my dad and my brother had had in honduras so that was very freeing and very helpful but i still felt like god was saying you're not done (laughs) you're not done sharing and i was like haven't we had enough here like uh and also at the same time i was like switching churches because the other church I'd been to previously, not a bad church, but I just wasn't connecting with anybody. And so like the last or the first Sunday, like it was like a day after coming back from Honduras, I'd had this intense coming out experience. And I'd had also this intense experience of like witnessing such deep poverty and then coming back home Mm -hmm. to what felt like a palace, even though I was living in my brother's basement, Mm -hmm. but it felt like a palace. Um, and I was just, I just like broke down weeping mid service and like nobody seemed to notice, nobody mm. seemed to care. Mm. And so like a week after that, I was like, I'm going to give Faith Covenant to try. And I, I came to Faith Covenant and like immediately Jay Substead saw me and came and sat with me. Mm. Um, and I was just like, this is my place. And I've kind of been here ever since. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Jay was kind of a pivotal guy. So then, but I still felt God saying, mm, you got to share more. And mm-hmm. I was like, mm, I don't like this. <laughs> um I don't want to do this publicly, but at the time I blogged a lot, as any proper millennial does, <laughs> and and so I was like, okay, fine, God, I'll write the post. I'm just not going to publish it yet. Like I'm not ready. Mm. It's not time. Uh, no. So I wrote a post as a draft, and I just like let it sit there, and 
I was like, okay. I did part of what God, like, I was still trying to do just, like, the smallest piece possible of what God was asking me to do. Um, so I wrote it. And then, and some of you will remember this, uh, very suddenly one day, Jay Substead dropped dead of a heart attack. Mm. It was so abrupt, came out of nowhere. He was playing broomball with his sons, and he just fell down on the ice and never got back up. Mm. And what was, I mean, obviously there was the devastation of missing him, and he was becoming a mentor figure to me. Um, but what really sat with me was that he was a guy who died with nothing left unsaid. Mm, He had said everything, every raw, difficult part of his testimony. He was open and honest about that. Mm. He never knew when he was going to die. He had no idea. Mm. Nobody did, except God. Um, but he had left, he had left it all out there. He was like, here's all of who I am. Here's everything that God has done in my life. And... I was just like, I don't know how long I have. Mm. I could die in five minutes in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, dear, here we go. Like, okay, God, I see what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, so a couple weeks after he passed, I put some finishing touches on the blog post. And first I sent it to my family to be like, here's what's happening. And then I put it out on Facebook one night and published it. And I was like, I'm going to bed. I'm not going to go on social media for a couple of days. Um but that was just such an amazing experience, too, because I was like, now anyone can know. Mm-hmm. I'm not hiding anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And so while it was terrifying on one level, it was so freeing on another level. Because mm-hmm. I was like, here's everything. I guess we'll see who sticks, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of like I said earlier, a couple people were like, yeah, we knew. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> and, and I was like, touche. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And certainly I have a lot of friends that would be on either inside the church or outside the church that would be more affirming and like, you know, you should pursue same-sex relationships. Um, But even then we're like, even those people in my life were like, I'm glad you are at a place where you can talk about this. And they recognize Mm -hmm. that this was a a big step for me and a healthy step to Mm -hmm. being more open and honest. Um, And so even people that would have disagreed with me were supportive and you know, people within the church were also supportive. So, I mean, it was just very good. There's probably a couple of people in my life that were like, oh, you're one of those religious wackos. I'm Mm. out. Mm -hmm. But they weren't people that were in my life on a daily basis. They were very much in the periphery of Mm -hmm. my life. So I maybe lost a few of those people, but I could have lost them just by not being in contact with them for years anyway. So for a lot of that, I have no idea. So may I ask you a question? Yeah. So what what do you say to people who say, oh, come on, Kevin, you know, just, just embrace it. Um, and, and, you know, that you can be a Christian and uh, pursue same-sex relationships um, physically, you know, the, the whole night, get married, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, do, what do you say when people say that? Um. <coughs> cough at them first um i mean i just keep it pretty simple i'm just like as best as i understand the bible that's not what god is leading me towards so Mm -hmm. even though it may that may be where my the attractions that feel natural that's maybe where what i'm drawn to Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't mean that it's always the healthy impulse like we have plenty Mm -hmm. of unhealthy impulses that we know we should not Right. To engage in like 
I know that I shouldn't eat cheesecake all day. Yeah. It's delicious, but it's not nutritious, right. <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, that's a, you know, extreme oversimplification of it. But, you know, the Bible makes it clear that, like, some things that feel natural are not natural. Right. And so, and, well, I don't want to tip, my, tip your hand too much, <laughs> um, but there is this, this belief in culture, um, that you will never be f- live a fulfilled life, yeah. Unless you know, some some people would say, unless you marry a woman. Yep. Other people would say, unless you marry a man, mm-hmm. that you or will never you're be just fulfilled. Having safe, healthy, consensual sex. Right. You know? Right. Right. There's all those messages out right. there, and <laughs> the snarky response in my head is, "Bite me, I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> um, the more gracious, thoughtful response is. Um, the Bible, well, and for people who don't believe in the Bible, I don't feel the need to say as much because it's like, well, we're on very different starting points anyway. You don't believe what I believe, so that's, it would make sense that we disagree. Right, Right. yeah. So I I don't say as much. For people who do maybe take a more affirming response within the church, um, I, you know, I, I, in part I talk about like, um, so much of what we regard as essential for a healthy life is not biblical. Right. Like yeah. there's nothing that says you need marriage mm-hmm. to live a healthy, fulfilled life. There's mm-hmm. nothing in the Bible that says you need sex to live a, fe- a healthy, fulfilled right. life. Those are things that we have decided as humans. Mm-hmm. God never says those things. Mm-hmm. God says, I am enough. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, there are some people in the Bible who were promised a marriage at some point. Um, that's not a promise God has given me personally. Mm-hmm. You know, God could, mm-hmm. but that's not something that God has personally given me. And so part of what the coming out process realized, one of those truths I realized once I had no longer had those walls, was that I've really put marriage and I, and uh, sex up on a pedestal mm-hmm. as like, these are important things that God has for me because I, I really want it, and so that must be God's plan for me. Well, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just because we really want it doesn't mean that it's a sanctified desire. Or even if it's not an inappropriate desire, it doesn't – just because you want it a lot doesn't mean that that's what God has in store for you. Right. Um, that's just not biblical. Like, I remember at one point, one, one of the conversations that I was having with a family member – um, about some of this stuff. And they're like, we just, we just want you to be happy. Like they were really concerned mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to be happy if I wasn't in a relationship that matched my attractions. Um, but I was like, I'm plenty happy. Like mm. my happiness is not predicated on whether or not there's somebody in my bed or in my home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it is. Yeah. So there's it's like through, 3,000 things coming at me in my brain <laughs> right. right now. So one, um, we've talked about this before, but let's just be clear. Who Can you name some some people who never got married who were in the Bible who lived a very fulfilled life? Jesus. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two most prominent ones. And, you know, Paul wrote very specifically about singleness and was like, mm-hmm. I wish you could be as I am as a right. single person because... I have the opportunity to be wholly devoted to God. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've noticed, not that I'm like a great example of being wholly devoted to God, mm-hmm. but it's been easier when God has said, I want you to go do this. 
it's kind of easier for me to go do that because mm-hmm. I don't have to consider a wife and kids. Right. So when God was leading me to seminary, which <laughs> at the time I was like, great. So God's calling me to spend a lot of money on school to qualify me to make less money than I'm making now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that was an important decision to make. But it was also kind of an easy one because I was like, well, I'm not providing for anybody except myself, so mm-hmm. that's doable. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't a hard decision to make. Um, so those are the first two people that come to mind in the Bible. I'm Can, blanking on other people that no, are that, single, that, that's fine. That's fine. I think the um, – um, What, Mary and Martha, they're never said to be married. Yeah, true. Yeah, but good point. they're wholly devoted to God. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're mm-hmm. – yeah, I mean, there's lots of people. Yeah. I, I think the uh, the the holy versus happy. Mm-hmm. We've talked about yes. that before. Yep. But um, that there is, you know, there's there's a, a our culture says the the highest value is happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the church, we don't view actually happiness as the highest value. No. We shouldn't um, anyway. <laughs> right. One th- I, I just heard this the other day, and it's a great reminder. Jesus never promised happiness. No. <laughs> never nope. in the scriptures. What he does promise is peace. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing... He promises peace, and he promises challenge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Yeah. But peace amidst the challenge. Right, right. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and so with this, then the contrast has to be explained... Um, we don't we don't view happiness in Christianity as the highest value. Mm-hmm. We we um, believe holiness yeah. to be the highest value, which in holiness means to be set apart for us, the sacred purposes of God. In to the extent that the Apostle Paul says, "Your body is not your own." Yeah, and and this comes then to a lordship issue, which is another thing that uh, that people often find puzzling in Christianity, but. This, this idea that Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is the one who has the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And he, Jesus is Lord of all things, we would say. Um, he's Lord <coughs> of our bodies. Um, and I belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. And th- it is Christ who makes us holy. And the product is joy. Yeah. And happiness, too. But I would say the fundamental desire of all people is we want joy. Mm-hmm. And it's only found when Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. we would say. And God is Lord. But Jesus being God, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I would also say that culturally we have accepted a very different definition of happiness than what Absolutely. the Bible offers. Absolutely. Um, I think it's Psalm 119, which is super long but actually super mm-hmm. awesome. I just spent several weeks in it some time ago. And... It talks about, like, happiness is in walking in God. Mm. Happy, Real, true happiness mm. is obeying God's word. Yeah. That's real happiness. Mm-hmm. Not satisfying whatever physical urges I may have mm-hmm. or, like, eating what I want or, like, amassing wealth. Right. There is a biblical definition of happiness, and mm-hmm. we've kind of walked away from that. Yeah. That well doesn't said. mean that, like, it's a bad thing to be made happy by a good meal, Right. We had a great meal this morning we at did. Jensen's. It was mm-hmm. delicious. And it's okay for us to be happy about that. But that's not the deeply rooted happiness that right. we find in God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, to kind of come back to the story, yeah. um, at the time that I came out both in Honduras and in 
the blog post that I put out, a lot of the language that I used at the time was very different than what I use today. Um, so at the time, I phrased it as I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. Um, I was very specific about phrasing it that way because I did not want to say I was gay. Mm-hmm. Partly still because of internalized homophobia, partly because I wanted to root my identity in Christ, um, but then also partly because I was concerned that if I said I'm gay, then people would make incorrect assumptions about me and like that I'm like dating men or pursuing relationships mm-hmm. with men. So like I was very like I want to be clear that like I'm same-sex attracted, but I'm not pursuing any relationships with men. I'm not pursuing mm-hmm. same-sex relationships. Um, so I was, I was very specific about that language, and I framed it very much as a struggle because up to that point in my life, it very much had been. Um, but once, like I said earlier, once these chains were gone and mm-hmm. once uh, these walls were down, I was <clears throat> able to start receiving... God's truth and realize, okay, you're actually loved by God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just an intellectual thing. It's like actually true. Um, you know, what I already said, you know, I already said some things about, <coughs> about realizing the idolatry of marriage and sex. So I was like suddenly learning those mm-hmm. things and I was starting to learn what identity really is mm-hmm. and just kind of coming to terms with like, oh, just because I'm wrestling with temptation doesn't make me unholy like mm-hmm. jesus was tempted and like these were all mm-hmm. things i knew intellectually but like i couldn't they hadn't penetrated my heart mm-hmm. because i had walls around my heart and so finally having the space to kind of like breathe and realize these things suddenly these truths were actually like oh this is actually true this is this is really great and like i could kind of finally feel myself becoming who i was always supposed to be um up until i had come out i had had no desire to do ministry because I just genuinely thought I just was not good enough. Mm. It wasn't even like I didn't think I was good enough because I wrestled with same-sex attraction. That was unconsciously part of it, but I just thought I was not good enough sure. for ministry. Sure. Once those things were, ga- were gone, then the following summer after coming out, I was suddenly like, oh, I think God is calling me to ministry. Like. Mm. All the things I enjoy, like reading, writing, speaking, you know, having good in-depth conversations with people, all of these things are very pastoral things. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and well, and that was funny too because I'd had so many people in my life prior to that say, oh, you should be a pastor, and I was always like, no, that's a terrible idea. Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And then suddenly I was like, oh, they're right. Like, you know, I suddenly no longer have these chains and these walls around me. So I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. That. That actually makes a lot of sense. So that's mm-hmm. when I discerned my call to go into ministry and go to seminary and stuff like that. So that started that process. And so, like, there were just so many healing processes that began. Mm-hmm. And so over time as – well, like, some of the th- – well, I wrote some of these down just because I um, wanted to make sure I kind of got these right. Like, I – and and I want to be clear, too, like, over time – my understanding of the biblical sexual ethic has not changed at all. Like, Mm -hmm. if anything, it's firmer and stronger Mm -hmm. in my belief that, like, marriage is specifically reserved as a covenant between a man and a woman, Mm -hmm. and sex is specifically reserved for that covenant. Like, Mm -hmm. I absolutely stand by that, um, and that's what I live by. And so, because I 
am not attracted to women, I have chosen to remain single. And I think that's where God is leading me to spend my life is in singleness and therefore in celibacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I got more comfortable with that idea, I also simultaneously got more comfortable with different language choices. Um, Cause eventually I just, I got so sick of saying like, well, I'm same sex attracted, but I believe this about the Bible. And so I'm not dating anyone. And I'm, or, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it got so linguistically clunky. I was just mm-hmm. so sick of it. So finally, I remember I was at dinner with someone, I think it was Stephen Chica, who's a member at our church. And I was just like, yeah, I'm gay, but celibate. And that was like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> like, it was just so, such an easier mm-hmm. conversation to, to have because my identity is still rooted in Christ. When I say I'm gay, all that I mean is this is a description of my attractions. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Kind of like in saying, like, my eyes are whatever, hazel, mm-hmm. or my hair is brown. Like, mm-hmm. it's just descriptive of a reality of me. It doesn't necessarily inform my decision-making, mm-hmm. um, but it's just descriptive of something about me. So I've that's kind of been a big change over the years. It's just kind of adopting different language choices that were just easier and less clunky. Um, mm-hmm. There's big debate within Christian communities about what to call yourself in this kind of situation mm-hmm. that I'm in. Um, that's a fair, valid debate to have. I've just kind of decided it's so much easier just to be like, I'm gay and celibate. Mm-hmm. Leave it and, at that. Yeah, so, and uh, I know of, of this debate a, bi- uh, a bit, and um, and I, I'm sensitive to both sides of, of the debate. Uh, what I'm hearing you say, though, is in one sense, I mean, it's helpful for you, but you also are saying, trust me, this is helpful for me or for yes. the other person. Because then then it it helps me understand, um, one, something about, who you, about your story. Mm-hmm. Now, while I don't I identify myself as uh, I'm a heterosexual Christian, mm-hmm. um, no one is assuming, due to the nature of the way culture is and, um, you know, people's knowledge of me, and I, I don't need to bring a clarification. Yeah. For you, you find it helpful to have the clarification um, so that everyone knows this is part of my journey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess I want to say, I think it's really helpful in the context of our congregation. Yeah. I know... Some of you, you haven't told me. No one's told me they disagree. <laughs> My guess is someone out there is going to disagree. And but, if you do, you can tell him. It's okay. Yeah, that's true. That's you true. can tell me. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> but I, I guess I, I want to – let me explain why I think this is helpful for our congregation. Uh, there are – most people in culture, maybe even most people in churches, do not know of this particular path that you've chosen. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's typically well either you're same sex attracted and you get married, <laughs> yep. or you you just say well I reject uh, the historical biblical uh, orthodox teaching of the scriptures and I now believe that it's okay to have sexual relationships with the same sex. Um, what you're saying is actually uh, I am gay and I abide by what is the historical orthodox understanding of the scriptures and human sexuality. Mm-hmm. And and that story needs to be told within the congregations. And I just want to share this in the president of our denomination. Um, 
you know, she gets these uh, people who say, you know, you're oppressing because you're not open and affirming, you're oppressing, you know, this group of people. And and she and I've up, had that conversation too. Like there was one sure. friend in high school after I came out that we had an email exchange for a little while, and that was her perspective. Too, yeah, yeah. That I'm oppressing by not affirming. Right. So I guess there's 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 another way, she, and she put it this way. Well, actually, in in our denomination, we are affirming um, the uh, the path that people like Kevin choose, who say, "No, Jesus is Lord," and I believe the historical, traditional, orthodox uh, view of human sexuality to be God's purpose for living, and I am going to abide in that. And to say that it has to be different for you, mm-hmm. well, is that not oppressive? oppressive? Right. And so I, I really appreciate, one, the fact that, that we have this conversation. And again, we have this conversation in truth. We have it in grace for all of us because, you know, these things are... I mean, bless Kevin's heart. He's, you know, how many of you would be willing to do a, <laughs> a podcast on the journeys, the struggles you've had in your in your journey? So thank you for that. Um, but we want to be a community where we can one, where we can disagree. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yep. You can disagree. You can love people with whom you disagree, um, and we can be open about the the things we're wrestling with, and we can always find um, love and grace. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we have to agree. Anyway, yeah, I'll stop talking. One, like the other piece of me changing my language and saying, instead of saying I'm same-sex attracted and saying I'm gay, part of that is me kind of conquering my internalized homophobia. And yes, like, and at, define like that. owning it. Like, so homophobia is like fear of gay, basically. Yeah. Um, and so you can be not gay and like be afraid of the gays uh-huh. <laughs> um afraid of lgbtq communities or derogatory toward or discriminatory towards mm-hmm. lgbtq people that's kind of all sort of within the realm of homophobia um internalized was because of the environments that i grew up in that was just very negative about lgbtq people um i had a lot of internal subconscious things that i wasn't even aware of for a long mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. so sure. now for me to say I'm gay is for me to say Jesus is Lord and I'm no longer afraid of this. Mm. Like I'm no longer afraid of the fact that I'm attracted to men. I don't need to Mm. be afraid of this. This Mm. isn't, this hasn't, this doesn't control me. Mm. And so I can name it and who cares, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so that's healthy for me. I'd also say there's a generational gap because in my generation and younger, um, if I start saying, like, I'm same-sex attracted, but, you know, blah, 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 most people in my generation will just kind of think, oh, you're gay, but you're in denial. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm not in denial about anything. Mm -hmm. I may be denying myself something. Mm -hmm. We all have to deny ourselves something. Um, But if I use the language of I'm gay, but celibate, that tells people in my generation and younger that like, yeah, I've accepted this. I'm not Mm -hmm. afraid of myself. I'm not afraid of this Mm -hmm. um, in me. This is just a part of my life and that's Mm -hmm. fine, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and so kind of with that too, I've had so many different realizations theologically that I wouldn't have had without this journey. Like I'm honestly now at the point and it took me years to get to this point, but I'm like, honestly at the point where I'm grateful to be gay because God has Mm. taught me so much because of it. Like, Mm. you know, I, um, I no longer see my sexuality or anybody's sexuality as a unique struggle. Like, 
if I were suddenly straight, that wouldn't necessarily mean that I'm not tempted to lust. Right. You know? Right. There are plenty of straight people that are looking at people that aren't their spouse. Absolutely. You know? Mm-hmm. My, the fact that my attraction is towards men means nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really. All it means is that there's not a biblical way for me to pursue that. Mm-hmm. There, you know, if I were straight, if I were attracted to women, yes, there's a biblical way to pursue that. But it's still pretty narrow. Right. <laughs> and I wouldn't and get it right pre- all the time. The bar's pretty high. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, so, you know, it's not like straight people have it figured out. Right. You know, there's, yeah. Um, I've also learned that, like, I no longer, like, when I first came out, as I said earlier, like, I saw my same-sex weakness as a flaw or a struggle. I no longer struggle with it. That doesn't mean I give in to it. Mm-hmm. But it's just I've accepted it, and I'm not afraid of it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yep. I'm attracted to men, but I just don't pursue relationships. Mm-hmm. End of story. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a simplification of it, but it's no longer something I've, I'm afraid of. I no longer define it as a struggle because I'm not struggling with it. I mm-hmm. know who I am in Christ, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I no longer. I already talked about that. You know, I, I've also talked about like marriage and single or marriage and uh, sex as idols in the church. Um, they're kind of the church-sanctioned idols in mm-hmm. some ways. Like mm-hmm. the churches typically will be like, "Oh, you know, idolatry is bad, so don't idolize your car, or your money, or your job, or whatever." And like, yes, that's all well and good and true. Marriage and sex are kind of the two things, or mm-hmm. well, at least sex within marriage is something that the church is okay with idolizing, mm-hmm. and that's something that I've been learning. And like for me, that's one of the biggest things that I think the church can do to help people in my situation is to not to lower the value of marriage, but to also hold equal the value of singleness Mm -hmm. because both are valued callings and vocations from God. Right. It can, and I just want to be clear for everyone, you know, what is an idol? An idol is something we worship that is not God, Mm -hmm. that is not the one true God. So if, if I just uh, see if I'm Reflecting well what you're saying, um, when we idolize uh, marriage, then we can believe, we can worship marriage to the extent that we think it can, it is going to provide for someone or the person something that only God can provide. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true with sex. I think in the church, um, it is very easy and, uh, to take, take these things <coughs> and not see them you know that that these things are a demonstration of um how can i put this uh Ephesians 5 talks about how marriage is um that is something that God has given us that helps us understand his love for the church Christ's love for the church mm-hmm. that is not to say that uh people who aren't married can't experience that because Kevin is a part of the church and is loved by Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's a great marriage in uh, through the Lord Jesus to the church as well. That's maybe a chapter in a book somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I just want to bring clarity because people might be saying, well, you, are you devaluing sex and marriage? And you're not devaluing sex and marriage. Right. What you're saying is be careful we don't put too much value on, right. on sex and marriage. Um, and not at the detriment of singleness, too. Right. Because I'm not the only single person in the church. And right. 
the reasons that I'm single are different than the reasons that other people are single. Sure. There are plenty of straight people who just never found a spouse, right. who maybe wanted to, but they are struggling more than they need to because the church in so many cases has said, mm. oh, marriage is so great. Marriage is the most important thing or, you know, mm-hmm. the ultimate goal for our human lives. And as a result, there are plenty of single people in the church who feel like second-class citizens. Sure. And that's yeah. not the way it should be. Right. That's that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, a fulfilled life, we would, we would say, is a life in Christ, yeah. whether you're single or married. Because I've known people who are married that are terribly lonely. Yeah. Sure. Which is, you know, that's maybe not a healthy marriage. That's not a healthy example of it. But, like, marriage does not fix everything. Right. (laughs) It presents a different set of challenges. Right. You know, singleness presents a different set of challenges. But I also have a different set of blessings. Like, Mm -hmm. I get to go home tonight. I get to watch whatever I want on TV. I get to set the temperature to whatever I want. I get to spread out on the bed if I want. I don't because I'm a side sleeper, so I sleep like a two-by-four. But, (laughs) um, you know... I have so much freedom mm-hmm. that most of my peers don't have. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Like, that's the blessing that God has given me. Like, sometimes I'm like, is that selfish to enjoy my freedom this much? And then I'm like, no. Sure. This is the this is the gift that God has given me. Right. There are other gifts that God has given other people mm-hmm. that I'm sure are lovely gifts. Um, this freedom is the gift that I have. Sure. And I can celebrate that. And, mm-hmm. you know... I certainly have to know when to set it aside to be there for and with people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how do we land this plane? <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, the timing of when we're doing this is really interesting because it's literally 10 years ago this month that oh, I wow. put out the blog post. Mm. Um, so like it would be 10 years ago in November, this past November, that I kind of came out in Honduras. Um, but January is it, – it's 10 <coughs> – 10 years ago this month. And so like, I've just been reflecting more recently on this whole mm. journey and going, wow, look at how far God has brought me. Cause yeah. like 10 years ago or 11 years ago, doing this, what we're doing right now for a public audience, that's going to be <laughs> online for anybody to watch forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have absolutely terrified me. Mm-hmm. But like, Knowing for the last few weeks that we were going to be doing this, I've been so excited. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just want to do this. This will be fun. Yeah, yeah. This will be great. And I've had so many similar experiences lately of opportunities to share and be a resource um, to the church. Um, and I'm just so excited to get to do that, which is just l- like light years away from where I was, trapped mm-hmm. in fear and insecurity and, and all that. Um, Can you put... Um within the post here a um some links to so let's say that there are people listening who resonate with your story and want to know more about uh, the, the the pathway and and how to find community um i know you've connected with different people um, well and more recently <coughs> i've been finding more um community of people that are like me of uh wrestling with same sex attraction but trying to do so within a biblically um, orthodox framework. Um, there's, I don't, I don't have a link cause there's a group in the twin cities that's in the process of forming. So there's not like a link to it, mm. but if you just contact me, okay. Yeah, we can, okay. I can connect you with a variety of resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think having some resources would be helpful yeah. for people. I've read a ton of books on this stuff. Um, so I have a lot. So if you have questions about like, mm-hmm. Hey, what's a good resource for 
this particular aspect, let me know. I can hook you up. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's pod, excuse me, there's podcasts. There's 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 a lot of great stuff out there that's been coming out in the last few years. Like, there's a lot of writers now that are writing books in this space from a similar perspective to me. Scholars um, as well, huh? Scholars as well. Yeah, yeah. But there were very few of those books ten years ago when sure. I was first wrestling with this. Like. I'd literally not heard of anyone else who was in the boat that I was in until I came out. And then, mm-hmm. like, my aunt was like, oh, here's a couple books that I've read recently by Wesley Hill and Sam Albury. And I was, and I read those books, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm reading my own autobiography but written mm-hmm. by someone else. I was like, how have I not known? But, like, that's what spiritual warfare was doing. Spiritual yeah. warfare seeks to keep us isolated in our problems so that we can't build each other up and encourage each other and help each other learn and heal and... Yeah, that's all other thing. <laughs> um, and like another example of just where I've come. A few years ago in 2019, um, you did a series on the body as like mm-hmm. the sermon series for that summer, and um, talking about like the role of marriage and the role of sex and singleness. Um, was that kind of yeah, encompassing? What, what is why did God give us bodies? Was yep. essentially the the theme of the series. Mm-hmm. And so, as part of that, I had the opportunity to share a very small snapshot of my story um, in the congregation. And it was just kind of, because we, at the time we had two services and before the first service, I just kind of felt my stomach churning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is weird. Like in my mind and in my heart, I'm not afraid. I'm not nervous. I enjoy public speaking. Like I'm ready for this. It's fine. I was like, why is my stomach churning? Like, why is my body having a nervous reaction? And so I did it. First service went fine. I was like, this is great. And then the second service, I was having the same kind of nervousness. And I was like, what is this? And then I was like, oh, it's not like nervousness. It's excitement. Mm. It was like butterflies of excitement. Mm. I was like, that was kind of a jaw-dropping moment for me. Because I was like, look how far God has brought me into yeah. this. Because, you know, at that point, that was like seven years, whatever, six years after coming out. That would have been terrifying mm. for me to stand publicly in front of a room full of people mm. and say these things. But now I'm like, I'm excited to do it. Like, mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. great, you know. So it's just really exciting to see <coughs> where God has brought me over mm. the last 10 years in all this. And I'm just excited for where God has yet to bring me. So yeah. I'd like to write a book. I have an outline. Yeah, oh, Very good. It's like the third attempt at an outline. Yeah, yeah. So okay, nice. we'll see what happens with that. Okay. So. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, appreciate your uh, honesty, and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're on staff here at Faith Covenant Church. Mm-hmm. So grateful for your presence here uh, in our church. I'm grateful to call you a brother in Christ. And thank you all yeah. for uh, being part of this today. Well, I'm just so grateful, too, to be here because, I mean, a lot of you know my story and have been so supportive and so loving. And so I'm just really thankful as I've gotten to know more community of other people in similar situations to me. Um, some of them are in ministry and some of them cannot be as open as I'm able mm. to be. And so that speaks not to who I am, but to who this community at faith covenant yeah, is. Yeah. And I'm, mm. I'm, I'm mm. very grateful for that. So mm. thank you all for mm. being that. So, mm. um, yeah, God be praised. Yeah. So thanks for watching. This was a long episode. Hopefully you figured out how to change the playback speed to like 1.5, <laughs> make it go a little faster. Um, yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm just like coughing up a storm. Um, 
What was I saying? <laughs> Subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a review. Let me know if you have questions. I'll try to put a couple of uh, resources um, that are just a couple of the resources that I think are really valuable in the uh, description of the episode. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And have a wonderful and blessed day. Mm-hmm.